Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Amen. All right, let's go to our Bible. We're going to go to our Bibles to Mark chapter 15. Uh, But before we do, I want to give you uh, the context of what is happening, kind of the background of this passage before I read it. Uh, And by the way, my name is Buddy Thompson. I'm the pastor. If you're a guest, glad you're here. Uh, Jesus and his disciples in this story, they had just experienced the last, last Supper together, and Jesus was now, had gone to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And then Judas, one of his disciples, who happened to be the bad apple in the bunch. By the way, there's always a bad apple in the bunch, but that doesn't make the whole bunch bad, right? Amen. Let me just throw that out there. If Jesus gathered 12 disciples and one of them was a bad apple, you will find a bad apple in the church or in your family or in your job. Can the church say amen to that? But Judas had already made some plans to betray Jesus, so soldiers met him there in the garden, and they arrested Jesus. The religious rulers of that day were doing everything in their power, including lying and getting uh, false witnesses to do anything they can to stop the work of Jesus, because Jesus had turned everything upside down, amen, with his message of love and grace and the kingdom of God. So now Jesus had been arrested. He's standing before his accusers, which were the priest and the high council, and they were trying to get enough evidence so that they could put Jesus to death. And that's where we pick up, where I want to pick up in the Bible for our message here today. It's Mark chapter 15 and verse 1. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, feel free to use the Bible that's on the screen today. And by the way, let me greet everybody who's watching online. God bless you. Glad you're here to join us uh, online. It says in verse 1, very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, you have said it. You've said it. I believe it. No, that's not what he said. (laughs) Amen. Then the leading priest kept accusing him of many crimes. And Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges that they're bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. And the crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Would you like me to release the uh, king of the Jews, Pilate asked, for he realized by now that the leading priest had arrested Jesus out of envy. He knew this was a, a, a kangaroo court. He knew this was a sham. So he said, why don't I release to you Jesus, the king of the Jews? 
In verse 11, it says, but at this point, the leading priest had stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. So Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob cried even louder, crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, by the way, and you always make a mistake when you try to pacify the crowd. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And he ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. I want to preach on this subject today, undeserved mercy. Undeserved mercy. Now, how many of you know that if there's anything that we could all use in abundance of, it's mercy and grace? <laughs> Hallelujah. I am so thankful that the Lord has exchanged my misery for his mercy. Amen. In November of 2002, at 5.59 p.m., one minute before his scheduled execution, the United States Supreme Court showed mercy on a man by the names of James Colburn. You can look up his story. He was mentally retarded and diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. Colburn had killed someone. He didn't deny it. And then he did what most sane people can't never seem to do. He turned himself in and he confessed. Many would argue that the execution of this man would have been justice well served, that it would have been appropriate for his crime. But due to his mental condition, he received mercy at the last moment that he probably did not deserve. I remember reading another true story about a man who was thought to be insane. He was locked away in a place that was reserved for the most severe of those that were mentally incompetent. And in this man's condition, he was surrounded by people that were without a doubt very severely troubled. He was thought to be uh, as bad as the rest of them, so they kept him locked up in this cell most of his life. But years later, when he was removed from his cell, these words were found scribbled on the walls of his cell. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, where every stalk of earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Later on, a songwriter heard those words and heard that story and added a chorus to that poem and created one of the most well-loved hymns that we know of. And here's what it said. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. See, I'm not so sure if that man was really crazy or not. Maybe he was, uh, maybe he wasn't. But maybe he was just like a lot of people in life, overwhelmed and misunderstood. Maybe the circumstances of life had gotten the better of him. But one thing for sure, he was also overwhelmed and amazed by God's great grace in his life. Even in his condition, he became aware of a love that couldn't be explained. He somehow grasped the immensity of God's compassion 
even from that cell in an insane asylum. And he understood something that we must understand here today. And that is that we can be recipients of mercy and grace that we don't even deserve. Amen. See, I don't know what you have done or how you even feel about yourself. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but no matter what you have done, and no matter what water has passed under your bridge, you can be a recipient of God's undeserved mercy. Amen. You see, God's love for us is not based on our perfection. It is not based on our works. It is the unmerited favor that was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And today, I am a recipient of the power of Christ's forgiveness in my life. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for his undeserved mercy. And if anybody loves that mercy, why don't you give him a praise right now? Come on, hallelujah. Thank you, God, for mercy. Thank you for mercy. There's a story in the Bible, and I read you part of that story, about another man who was locked away. His name was Barabbas. I read part of that story just a moment ago from the book of Mark. Barabbas was on death row, but somehow, despite his obvious guilt, this man Barabbas was also going to experience the amazing grace and God's mystifying, undeserved mercy. It was high noon at the court of judgment. Pilate, who was the Roman governor of that area at the time, was trying to find a way to get Jesus out of the dilemma that he was in because he recognized an innocent man when he saw one, and he saw the innocence in Jesus. He recognized this fraudulent uh, charges that were brought against him by the religious people of the day, and he saw this bloodthirsty mob before him that wanted justice. Pilate thought that he had a good idea, and uh, with his plan to release Jesus, when he realized that the people had come to him and they did ask for the custom of the Jews, the local Hebrews, to, 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 be, to take place that day. And that is that they would always release a criminal as a show of mercy. Give them a choice, and they would select someone. So Pilate thought, I'm going to give them a choice between Jesus and this one that they're asking for. Someone who is so wicked that it will be obvious that Jesus is the right one. So Pilate is thinking, the crowd is already mentioning Barabbas by name. And Pilate is thinking, well, who is the lowest of the low? Who can I pick that will make Jesus going free the obvious choice? His mind probably reached all the way down to the bottom of the prison where the most vile and the filthy criminals rested on death row. And suddenly he thought, you know what? They're asking for Barabbas. But I think Barabbas is probably a good, pretty good choice because he had the choice to offer whoever they wanted. So he thought, yeah, this is a good one. This is going to work out all right. So do you want Jesus Christ or do you want Barabbas? How could they not make the right choice, right? Either Barabbas or Jesus was going to be chosen to be set free and the other would die. Each of the four gospels weighs in about this man, Barabbas, Matthew called Barabbas a notable or notorious prisoner. 
Mark tells us that he was a member of a group that had been jailed for insurrection and that he had committed murder. Luke confirmed this by saying that the insurrection took place in Jerusalem and he named Barabbas as the murderer. Even John, the disciple of love, mentioned that Barabbas was a robber. So all of the gospels collaborated and corroborated the story. In Pilate's mind, he probably couldn't imagine in his wildest dreams that they would actually choose Barabbas over Jesus. Yet, that is exactly what they did. That day, a man who was so full of guilt received undeserved mercy. Jesus, the innocent, was going to be killed while the guilty man was set free. Jesus, who had done no wrong, was going to die so that Barabbas could receive mercy. So contrary to how Pilate had envisioned his plan unfolding, Pilate had to release Barabbas. Barabbas found what James Colburn found on death row, a last-minute reprieve of mercy. Pilate, um, Barabbas found what a forgotten man in an insane asylum had discovered in the confines of his room, undeserved mercy. At the height of Jesus' week of passion, Barabbas becomes something more than a murderer, more than a robber. He becomes something more than the man with the list of all the bad deeds. Barabbas became a recipient of God's undeserved mercy. You see, mercy is one of God's greatest gifts to you and I. He not only extends mercy to us, but did you know he also gives us the capacity to extend mercy to others? Because mercy is a gift that is given to the guilty. It's a gift. You hear the term used in courts after a guilty verdict has been rendered and before the sentence is handed down. An advocate for the guilty, some attorney or someone will stand up and go, we're throwing ourselves on the mercy of the court. We do not seek justice. We seek mercy. And you know why they say that? Because only the innocent ask for justice. The guilty ask for mercy. Amen? And folks, I've got an announcement to make. We are all guilty. We're all guilty. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes us in the book of Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. As the scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. Look, all have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. And then he goes on in that same chapter in verse 23 to say this, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Hey, did you notice in those verses, no one, not even one, no one, no one, all, no one, not a single one, everyone. And then he said, we all fall short. See, the Bible says there is none righteous, not even one. It says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
The Bible says in another place that any man who says he has not sinned is what? He's a liar. That's what the Bible says. See, I don't care how long you've gone to church. I don't care how many verses of the Bible you can quote. I don't care if you won the sword drill when you were eight. Amen. Come on. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good of a moral life you may have lived. And it also doesn't matter how many times you've messed up. Hear me. We are all guilty. The Bible says, and we all have sinned. And because we are all guilty, we all deserve, uh, need God's undeserved mercy in our lives. A Dayspring card said it this way. If our greatest need was for information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need was for technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need was for pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. If our greatest need was for money, God would have sent an economist. But since our greatest need is for mercy, God sent a Savior. Hallelujah. He sent a Savior. Hallelujah. He sent a Savior. Not just a judge, a Savior. Not somebody that was pointing a crooked finger at my sinful face. He sent me a Savior. He sent me someone who said, you know what? I'm going to die in your place so that you don't have to receive justice. I'm going to instead give you mercy. I'm going to give you mercy. Remember that verse, Romans 3, 23, it says, for everyone is sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. Well, the good news is that story doesn't end right there. Look at the next verse, verse 24. I love this. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. How did he do it? He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. I don't know, are there any free people in this house today? Woo, hallelujah. He set us free. From the penalty of our sins. Yet God, in his grace, through Jesus Christ, we've been set free from the penalty of our sins. I want to tell somebody here this morning, don't focus on, on how bad you are in verse 23. Remember what God did for you in verse 24. Hallelujah. Thank God for his undeserved mercy. You know why? Because I'm not always holy. I don't always do the right thing. I sometimes have a problem with stinking thinking, amen? I said it last week. Sometimes I need a checkup from the neck up, amen? Sometimes my thoughts are not right. Sometimes I have a hard time keeping a right attitude, amen? Especially when I'm driving, but Jesus is still working on me, amen? Somebody asked me years ago, they said, why don't you put a clergy sticker on your car? It'll make it easier to park at hospitals. I said, are you kidding me? I don't want anybody to know I'm a member of the clergy the way I drive. <laughs> I mean, I just keep it real, amen. <laughs> I do not want them to know that I am a man of the cloth, hallelujah. You see, he's still working on me. I get angry, amen. I have lustful thoughts. I have angry thoughts. Sometimes I don't always do the right thing. The Bible says my righteousness is like filthy rags. Now, not to get gross, but you may not know. It wasn't just talking about the rag that you're wiping your sink off. It's actually referring to a used menstrual cloth. And it says that's how bad our righteousness is. 
we're, we think we're so great when God says, no, no, you're not all that. You see, I was not always a child of God. And even as one, I'm not often, not always what I should be. But you know what I need and you know what keeps me going? Undeserved mercy. Hallelujah. It's new every morning, the Bible says. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of another man in the Bible, a man who traveled the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a dangerous road that had a bad reputation for criminals taking advantage of the travelers. Thieves and robbers would terrorize those that traveled that road. And such a gang had attacked this man in the Bible. Who knows? Barabbas might have even been a part of that gang. You never know. The Bible says that a man was beaten and left for dead in the ditch. And when you read the story of the Good Samaritan, it tells us that the pious and the religious and the preoccupied saw this beaten up man and they walked right past him. Amen. Even those religious folks passed by that man. And you know what they did? They proved that man's greatest need is not for religion. It's for a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's for mercy. But then the Bible says that a Samaritan came by. And when you read the story, it says he cleaned that man's wounds. He lifted him onto the back of his donkey. Sinners had beaten this man down, but a man of mercy was there to lift him up. Hallelujah. I've read that when a sheep falls on its back, it's not able to rise again. I don't know if that's true or not. But it says that it takes a shepherd or someone to right that fallen sheep. It takes mercy. Just like that merciful shepherd, this merciful Samaritan was present on that Jericho road. And when you read the story, it says he took that fallen man to the innkeeper. You know what the Samaritan told that innkeeper? He said, whatever you have to spend to help him get well. He said, when I come back through, I'm going to make it right with you. I'm going to repay you. Do you recognize that there was no limit to that man's mercy? No limits. And that's how God's mercy is in our lives. It's without limits. There's no limitation to his mercy and his love. And if you could find the limit today, guess what? It would change tomorrow because God's mercies are new every morning. Hallelujah. And tomorrow would be a new day and a fresh mercy would be available. I love how Lamentations describes it in chapter 3 and verse 22. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin, are you ready? Afresh each morning. His love never ends. His mercy never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. God's undeserved mercies are new every day. And because of that mercy, Psalms 103 and 5 says your strength can be renewed like eagles. 2 Corinthians 4 and 16 says, your inward man can be renewed. 2 Chronicles 15 and 8 says, your prayer life can be renewed. Because God's mercy is renewed day by day. <clears throat> the same one who told us to forgive 70 times 7 has fresh mercy. And he loves to the uttermost. Paul said that our foundation is the very love of God. 
It was to be searched. And when you search at the height and the depth or the width, you can't find limitations to his love. His undeserved mercy is beyond our knowledge and our comprehension. His love is infinite. God's love has no end. You know why? Because God is love. And love is mercy. And mercy is given to us without earning it. In the beginning, love created the earth. Love created man. Love also became a man. And love died for man. And love lifted all of mankind. Oh, the love and the mercy of God. It passes understanding. His mercy makes no sense. It's totally undeserved. And if his mercy was something that we could only get by deserving it, it would not be mercy. Amen. Barabbas would have been crucified, not Jesus. The murderer lived while the life giver died. Can you explain it? No, I can't. Because mercy like that, it's unexplainable and it's undeserved. There was an old song that we used to sing often in the choir many years ago. Brooklyn Tabernacle made it popular. And I love the lyrics. It said, beautiful, that's how mercy saw me. When I was wounded and so lost, mercy looked past all my faults. The justice of God saw what I had done, but mercy saw me through the sun. Not what I was, but what I could be. That's how mercy saw me. Aren't you glad that mercy doesn't just see you as you are, but it sees you as you can become? Mercy doesn't just see what you've done. Mercy also sees what he did for what we have done. See, the Lord does not just see you as you are, but as you can be. He wants to give you his undeserved mercy. I want to ask the praise team and the musicians to come. And I want to close with a poem by Charles Johnson called I am Barabbas. It says this, how can you set me free? I've lived a wicked life, but the one you let go is me. I have stolen, killed, and caused tremendous strife. I've lied and committed sin at every turn. I've destroyed others' lives and helped none. What do you think? After a lifetime of being bad, I will learn I should be crucified for my crimes, but you chose another one. Everyone knows and fears my name. I've earned your hatred. I truly deserve to die. Yet you all scream for another, a man meek, mild, and tame. And now you choose to set me free, and I truly have to wonder why. What did this man Jesus ever do to you? Why do you let me, a killer, go and torture, curse, and spit upon him? Does he truly deserve to take my place? Tell me, what did he ever do? I'm a man who would laugh as I tie a rope around your neck and hang you from a limb. And yet you hate a prophet, a preacher, a gentle, kind man more than me. Oh, what a fool you are. And you will regret this mistake you make. I will never stop my evil ways. It is my life and the way I will always be. I will lie, cheat, steal, torture, kill, rape, and your hearts, your minds, and your souls I will take. For I am Barabbas. People will remember my name throughout all time and space. Stories will be told about my treacherous deeds long after I'm dead. 
And what will become of this man? Jesus, you choose to crucify my place. No one will remember such a gentle man or the simple life he led. This man, Jesus, you have put a crown of thorns upon his head. You've whipped him and tortured him for what? Your stupid fear I dread. As I watch, as you make him carry upon his back the cross of Calvary, I realize that here before me is the man you choose to die instead of me. As I watch this man you spat upon, tortured, and now drive nails into his hands and feet, some of the crowd cried out and called him their king, their lord, and their master. And as the Roman soldiers pushed them back with spears from Jesus, they would not retreat. Something inside me is happening. I feel that this is somehow a true disaster. I watch as the sky grows dark and the crowd fills with fear and as blood rolls from his body and his tears fall from his eyes. I was touched and changed as he looks directly at me. And what do I hear? Even while being crucified, this man Jesus, with his dying breath, he cries, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Forgive them. They killed you even though you were good and just. Please forgive me. Jesus, it should have been me, not you. I should have been crucified. I am Barabbas. You see, you are Barabbas. I am Barabbas. But instead of the cross, we receive undeserved mercy. Instead of death, we receive life. Instead of justice, we receive a pardon. Instead of perishing, we receive fresh mercy every morning. I want you to stand with me all over this house. The innocent cry for justice, but the guilty ask for mercy. And there's none righteous among us, no, not one, the Bible says. Even those of us who are believers, one of the greatest things that we have is a daily relationship with Jesus that allows us to repent, to ask him to cover us afresh, and to also give us the ability to extend mercy to others. I want you to understand that one of the greatest things, I feel led to say this, one of the greatest things you can do as a believer is to extend mercy to someone else that doesn't deserve it. Can I also say it's probably one of the hardest things that we do as a believer? And that is to extend mercy to someone who doesn't deserve it. But because of the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts, because of all that He has forgiven me, I want to choose to set other people free as well. So today as we close this service, the praise team's gonna get ready to sing in just a moment. I wanna invite you to come. We have altar calls in this church. We give people an opportunity to respond to the word of the Lord. 
Maybe you need to just come up and say, you know what, God? I've gotten off the path. And today, I just want you to know, guilty as charged, but thank you for your mercy. I want you to baptize me afresh with your love today. I want to invite you to step out from where you are right now and come to this altar. Also, maybe you're a believer right now, and maybe you've just struggled. I want you to step out and say, God, I just want you to wash me afresh. But then maybe you're not struggling at all, and you just want to walk out and say, God, I thank you. I thank you for the mercy that is undeserved. I thank you, God, for what you've given me, a free gift of life. I don't deserve it, but God, I appreciate it. And I love you for it. Why don't we come down right now? Let's begin to praise him together. The praise team's going to lead us in worship, but why don't you just cry out to God right now? Come on. God, I want that undeserved mercy. Amen. Come on, that was some of us. I was buried. Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. All over this house. God, I want your undeserved mercy. I want your undeserved mercy. It was my it was my tomb. Hallelujah. Yes. Come on, that was me. I wasn't alive. I was the walking dead. Hallelujah. All my failures I tried to hide. Barabbas, you met up with Jesus. You called my name. 
you thankful to be able to declare that you walked out of that grave of depression, that grave of, of sin, that grave that held you back, and be able to walk free in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Thank you, Pastor Thompson. What a wonderful message today. I hope you leave here today inspired and ready to experience God's presence in your life. Uh, we're so thankful that you were here today with us uh, on our Family and Friends Day. It's been an honor to have you here with us today to celebrate Jesus and to have a great time in his presence. Before you leave today, if this is your first time here, take a moment, fill out the Connect card that was in the seat pocket in front of you. It uh, just allows us to know that you were with us today and also gives us an opportunity to send you a letter, let you know a little bit more about the things that you can be involved with here at Life Church. Uh, we won't harass you, I promise. Uh, we just want to get an opportunity to connect with you and let you know a little bit more about us and how you can be involved here. As you leave today, we have something very special for you. Pastor's already mentioned it. Uh, you can stop by the cafe, get yourself a cup of coffee, and then out of the exit to my left, uh, there is the Bonuts truck, and uh, they have fresh donuts made for you out there. So stop by and uh, get yourself a tasty treat, and uh, you'll be glad you did. Also to my right in the back over here, uh, there's a photo booth, and uh, if you'd like to take a picture with your family or your friends today before you leave, it'd be a great opportunity to do that as well. Uh, a couple of quick announcements before we let you out the door. Uh, this Friday night, there is a paint night here at Life Church. Our missions team is sponsoring that, and they're getting ready to go to Peru. And so for $35, you can come, and with someone guiding you, you can paint a really nice Christmas picture and uh, have that to take home with you, and they'll be able to use those funds to bless people uh, in Peru when they go on their mission trip later in October. Also, uh, next Sunday, Pastor mentioned it, is Jersey Sunday. It's a great time around here. Uh, come out. We're going to support our teams, but more importantly, we're going to join together as one great big team loving Jesus together. And so make sure you're here and a part of that. Uh, and finally, uh, here at Life Church, before we leave, we celebrate one last thing, our final act of worship. And that's the opportunity to see worship in our giving. And so I encourage you today before you leave uh, to take a moment and consider the value of what you've received in the presence of God today and give according to that. Uh, before you leave, there are opportunities to give on the way out. Three ways you can do it. Uh, there's giving centers at the back of the auditorium, also at the exits. Uh, you can stop by and give in person that way uh, with cash check, whatever you'd like to do. You can also give online at liferva.org forward slash give. Or you can give by texting the word give to the phone number that's on the screen. Uh, however you do it, give with a, a spirit of generosity and a grateful heart, and God always blesses gratitude. Can you say amen? One more time before we leave, let's pray together all over this house. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to celebrate you today with our family and with our friends. We ask you to bless this time today, God, as we leave. Help us, Lord, to fellowship with one another, get to know one another better. More importantly, Lord, that we would have you in the midst of our life, God, and that when we walk out of this place, we could declare boldly that we've been in your presence, and we're thankful for that. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. We'll see you soon.